What up, everybody? Alex Skolnick from Testament is finally on the show. A lot of you have asked for him, and today he's plugging that guitar straight into your brain. Here's a little sample. That's what we're going to get into on the killer musical odyssey that follows. And did you know that Testament just released their 13th album, Titans of Creation, that features a super cool song called Children of the Next Level? You've got to see the video for this. It's awesome. It's a cartoon, fully animated, with headbanging, guitars, aliens, all the stuff you love. There's other heavy hitters on this record, too, such as City of Angels, a song about the Night Stalker, and also the aptly titled Symptoms, which, as you're about to find out, Alex had a huge role in writing this song, which unfortunately now kind of addresses the era in which we live. Great song. Listen now, wherever you stream music. The album, again, is called Titans of Creation from Testament. And, of course, you can order the CD or vinyl at Nuclear Blast's store. Head to NuclearBlast.com. So thankful for them for bringing us Alex Skolnick. No guitar is safe. Just imagine you come back from Europe. You've rocked that wonderful place for four or five weeks, show after show. But the world is changing. Everything's being locked down and literally half your band or half the other guys in the band have been diagnosed with COVID-19 and are fighting it off feeling sick as and you've got a cold yourself and members of your crew are diagnosed maybe someone from the other band maybe your production manager who happens to be the lead singer's wife well this is me paraphrasing exactly what testament has just survived on the Bay Strikes Back Tour, which also featured Exodus and Death Angel. Apparently everyone's doing well, recovering. Chuck Billy, lead singer, and his wife Tiffany got really sick. But I think they're bouncing back, which is good, obviously. And Testament has a new song on Titans of Creation, which of course, as I mentioned, you can check out at nuclearblast.com. This new song is called Symptoms, which is, as I mentioned, kind of appropriate for this viral age. On today's show, Alex is going to plug in one of his ESP guitars and play that riff for your skull. He plays a ton of stuff from every era of his career. He's done so much. You know, of course, he had that one era where he moved to New York, where he's been ever since. He went to the new school. He learned about jazz and playing changes, and he has some great instrumental albums that you really ought to dive into, such as Conundrum. Sounds so good. That's the title track to the Conundrum record. In those lost years when he stepped out of Testament for a little while, he also, man, he was in Ozzy Osbourne's band for like 48 hours. He played in Trans-Siberian Orchestra, did a ton of stuff. And it's actually kind of a coincidence that he is the guest on the Nuclear Blast episode of No Guitar Is Safe here today, because when they actually called to sponsor, they didn't have a particular guest in mind. I said, how about Alex Skolnick? And they said, dope. Because Alex and I have actually been trying to do this for quite a while. You know, I'd be in Brooklyn or something and 
be like, hey, man, I'm probably right next to your house. Let's do this tomorrow. What do you think? He'd be like, oh, man, I'm in California playing the Warfield Theater with Testament. That was one time. And this year at the NAM show during NAM week, when he was in LA, we were going to try and do the interview hang. But, you know, we actually played together at NAM. We performed at the Ultimate Jam Night event, which was packed. Can't believe people used to be allowed to pack themselves into a room for a live music event. Hopefully, we get back to that soon, folks. But yeah, crazy event, but also just a crazy week. A little bit too packed of a week to try to sandwich in an interview. The more NAM shows you do, the more you realize don't overpack your NAM week. You'll be sorry. You'll miss that brain space. So we put it off yet again. But ironically, once everything got trippy and the world got locked down, you have these guitar heroes like Alex sitting at home with their home studios fired up and they've got a little more free time. And it's like, yo, Alex, what do you say? You plug in a guitar, give me a nice long guitar track, plug in a vocal mic, give me a separate vocal track. Then after the interview, send them over. That's what we did for this interview today. He's he's recording into his home system. I'm not sure what it is, Pro Tools, Logic. I'm recording straight into my Zoom recorder and then I put them together later in Pro Tools here. And he plays a ton of guitar for you. So cool of him. And quick shout out to all of you who are working through the crisis, playing dodgeball with that virus out there face to face, outrunning it. Nurses, doctors, clinicians, Amazon drivers, UPS, garbage collectors, Grubhub, DoorDash. You are all appreciated. You'll hear a little appreciation of them on the seven o'clock cheer in Brooklyn from Alex's microphone there. A little snapshot into this time. I'm just so glad that we finally got Alex on for another reason too. If I may step down memory lane, Berkeley High School, Alex and I went to Berkeley High together. Although we did not know each other, he was a year ahead of me. And by the time I turned 16, right before my junior year, he was already going to another high school so that he could more easily rock the planet with Testament. He had joined that band and the rest is history. But Berkeley High was an amazing place. I got to know so many guitar players, you know, 3,500 kids, but there was a lot of music. Music was very valued there. Our jazz ensemble was like undefeated. We always were very proud of that. You know, they always throw these kids into the uh, jazz competitions around the state and beyond. But Kevin Cadigan, who's been on the show, I used to play with him. Charlie Hunter became my guitar teacher right after high school. Another Berkeley High guy great friend. He's been on the show. So many great players there. Adam Johnson, dear friend, super inspiring player. Jubu Smith, so funky. Jeff Tyson, Alexis Hart, Jarrett Light, Zan McCurdy from Cake, Aiden Bryant, Gary Went from Sacrilege, Moose Lethridge, Musashi from Sacrilege. These are all my homies. There were other people. It was just a great time. A lot of great musicians there. Josh Shedroff, who's better known as Josh Redman great saxophone player. I had the pleasure of watching him play in the in the arts building a few times. He was a year older. There's also this cool cat, Aaron Elliott. If you've ever checked out fanzines or the music zines, he's got a great one called Comet Bus, a little independent punk rock zine. He's become very respected over the years, Aaron Comet Bus. And I, it was just funny, man. It was just a time like I'm out in the outfield during like a really slow game of softball for PE class. And it's like some dreary, cloudy day. And I hear this voice from the left field next to me. Yo, 19. That was my roll call number. And whenever I see Aaron on the street to this day, it could be 10 years since I last saw him. He says, hey, 19. Anyway, check out Comet Bus if you can. One word, analog 
Punk Rock Magazine. So thanks for letting me step down memory lane. It's nice to connect the dots here today with Alex Skolnick, another East Bay guitar rocker now in New York. And as you know, for most of these episodes, I literally fire up a helicopter outside of my front door and fly over to their studios. Haha. <laughs> but today we're going to use alternate means to communicate. We are off to hang with the great Alex Golnick. Don't forget to check out Titans of Creation, the new Testament record at nuclearblast.com or on YouTube or Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you want to do. Cool, yeah. So what are, what guitar are you playing there today, Alex? So today I'm playing the um, ESP signature model, Alex Golnick, in um, Aqua Burst. Beautiful Blue. color. And it has a tremolo bar. A locking one, looks like. A locking tremolo yeah. bar. Yeah, which I never played my first uh, couple decades of playing. I kind of avoided the whole dive bomb, wild, whammy noise, Steve Vai kind of thing. You know, and then all these years later, I just decided to have one version of my signature guitar that has a tremolo yeah. bar for people who want it. And I realized I, I like it <laughs> yeah. for some stuff. For, um, but yeah, it's a very, um, it's a heavy guitar. It's... Um, yeah, it's mahogany, and um, yeah. I go for tone first and foremost, but I also, I like a lot of classic instruments. Uh, the listeners can't see it, but you can probably see it. There's guitars yeah. behind me um, oh, yeah. that include vintage guitars, and um, It looks like you got a, a, lot a of, Django guitar uh, there, too. You got a Django that's guitar. That's a Django guitar, a- yeah. That's from Paris by uh, Pierre Fontaine. He's a custom... Guitar builder, uh, yeah. Over I'm looking, there, I'm looking at a jazz box up there too, and a double neck SG or something. Yeah, there's a there's a double neck SG. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, there's a um, a Gibson three four seven, which yeah. I got last year. That's um, they don't make those anymore. It's kind of like like a three thirty five, like tobacco burst. Except yeah. it's um, it's got a a whole it's got a, a coil tap in it, oh, and um, then uh, I have a 1976 L5 Woo. that I got from um, place in Berkeley. You, you might remember it, Blue Note Music. Yeah, Blue Note, James. Yeah, James. Yeah, <laughs> James. <laughs> God bless him. You know, he. he quick, quick aside there, man. I'm one of the best products I ever bought in my life. He was like, check out these matchless amps, and I'm like. Yeah, and I'm digging it, and like, and I couldn't really crank it up, but I was kind of feeling because you know it wants to be cranked up, and but I just went yeah. with him, and, and this, this was like when I was like 24 years old, and it was expensive, man. It was like a two thousand dollar amplifier. And I he, remember they were some of the most expensive amps. Yeah, hand wired, beautiful amp, and I just kind of trusted him, and, and I went and I bought it, and it's been brilliant ever since. But he always told me, he told me like three times, dude, you really should get the one by twelve. Right. And like now that I'm decades older, <laughs> it's like the 212 is so heavy, man. I can't lift it out of the freaking house. I mean, I could, but you know, you need a dolly or something. It'll just hurt your back. I have like amps Fender Twin or like something. that. Yeah, I had a Rivera amp like that. Oh yeah, they made some and heavy was, ones. Yeah, and it was. I loved the amp, and it was great. I just I had to get rid of it for that reason. It was just a, a beast. 
but yeah, James, he he could yeah. sell you a product, and um, yeah, he did that with me with um, Heritage guitars. Yeah, he uh, got me started on Heritage, and later I had an endorsement from Heritage for a while before I hooked up with these guys. But it all started in the '90s uh, at Blue Note in in Berkeley, and those were my first hollow bodies. And uh, I also liked their uh, their solid bodies. They're kind of Les Paul style guitars. Yeah, yeah. So getting back to this guitar, this ESP signature, I really wanted the tone of a classic guitar, but I wanted it to be um, easier to play more technical stuff on a classic guitar. Like my favorite players are guys like Gary Moore, uh, yeah. where you know it's just great playing. There's no gimmicks, right? It's yeah. just it's tone, and not that he didn't have chops. I mean, boy, he he could play, but you know he was kind of. Better known for the stuff he did later in his life, which is more blues-based. Oh, yeah. And just, yeah, just as, as good as it gets. Um, and there's, you know, there's a few guys like that, the, the tone guys. So yeah. when I hooked up with ESP, you know, I wanted a guitar that I could, that somebody like that could appreciate that had the tone, but also somebody that uh, grew up on the, you know, the more technical stuff. And yeah. the, the sort of modern search of could could also play, well, it's maybe kinda, not as much as like uh, you know, like a Jackson or you know, an Ibanez, a thin Ibanez or something. But um, yeah, certainly better than like you know, an old log Les Paul, <laughs> which I yeah. and I love those too. So yeah, yours kind of looks like it's you know, single cut in the Les Paul family with the mahogany body and the binding around and the switch up on the upper bow. But how do you make That's it? Correct. How did you design it that it would be even like maybe a little easier than even a Les Paul? You're saying it's more playable. Well, ESP has a line of guitars like this called the Eclipse, and they're th um, they're thinner. They're, most of them are not. You can see how thick this is. Um, yeah, yeah, less Paul thick. Most most of the Eclipses are 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 thinner. They also have a um, a sculpted back, so you can lean into it, and it sort of contours to your. I got rid of that. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like. Um, I don't care about lightness. I don't, um, you know, there, <clears throat> there is an LTD version of this guitar, which is more budget friendly and lighter. So you yeah. can, you can play that, but for the main instrument, um, yeah, I wanted it to play. I like the way these, the Eclipse line play. So can we hear like maybe a couple of the sounds from it? bit of trouble. Beautiful. Beautiful. You. Man, you got this solo on the new record, New Testament record, Titans of Creation. There's a, so many great solos. Like, uh, Oh, man, thanks so much. Thanks for checking it out. Night of the Witch. really fluid it's kind of like what you're saying like i mean if you analyze it there's a lot of technique and stuff but it's really it's just flowing it's just like soaring and then it picks up and then at the end there's like some sweeps and stuff
such a funny thing because it wasn't my favorite solo. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't that crazy. But I was kind of nudged <laughs> into playing it that way. So what? Wait, what uh, happened? What were you doing, and then what did somebody nudge you? Well, um, yeah, the the song kind of it's I it, it's a different flavor. You know, there are you could tell like like the songs that I I that, that have riffs I came up with. Like um, there's a song called "Code of Hammurabi," for example, yeah. which is mainly more my song. And there's like single note parts. There's a lot of um, guitar harmonies. You could probably hear the um, sort of you know, early Ozzy, Randy Rhodes influence, little Dio, and all that stuff. Yeah. One thing I don't listen to much is black metal, <laughs> and I appreciate it. <laughs> it's just not where I'm coming. I'm, this song, Night of the Way, it's kind of a, a black metal song. Uh, Eric Peterson, who is the founder of the band. Yeah, I kind of know Eric uh, a little bit. Guitars. I had him do a clinic yeah. at MI once. He was, he was hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. And he and Eric, Eric just he's very devoted and he's um, he's the one guy he has been there with uh, every version of the band. Yeah, no he's, a rock. he's the only one. He he's yeah. he started the band, so you know he uh, he lets in some other influence sometimes. I'll have a hand more in certain songs than others. And there's others that we yeah we work on as a team. This one, tip of the hat. This is more more of an Eric thing. Yeah, and uh, very black metal. He even does a black metal style vocal in the chorus. Oh, really? Which is, yeah, that scream. Yeah. I can't do it. That's not Chuck. <laughs> no, Chuck. <laughs> and um, anyway, so for the solo, yeah, he really like wanted it spooky, and yeah. he was just pushing me. He's like, yeah, make it dark, make it eviler as he would say <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um so i'm like you know okay what am i supposed to do um but i realized like a lot of the um it's kind of funny in in um studying jazz guitar i studied a lot of half step approaches right like taking an arpeggio say right yeah. and taking each note approaching it from a half step below for example Right, and we've all heard melodies that do that. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, and then you got like I don't know if you can hear me. Like you got Randy. Rhodes. I hear you. Yeah. Didn't Randy Rhodes do that? Oh yeah. Team? But anyway, yeah. A little trills. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think it was "You Can't Kill Rock and Roll." Probably a, f- a few yeah. songs. Yeah, probably. So I I ended up doing a lot of that. So it starts out with um, an E minor arpeggio at the seventh fret, fifth string, going to the second string, eighth fret. Right. Beautiful. Right, so that's kind of harmonic minor. And then. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly it, but that's the flavor of it. And yeah. we were just we just had our first tour playing that song. We actually uh, debuted it on this tour, and mm. I I don't take it, I don't play it exactly like on the record, but it's it's enough close enough so that it's recognizable. Right. You want to play a little more of it? Just go through sure. it a little bit, or sure. 
that, that's not what I do. Uh, <laughs> that's the first. That's the first phrase, and that's all down at the seventh fret. Yeah. Um, so you hear that? You know, there's the um, the seventh, the harmonic minor, major seventh. But I also throw in this flat five. And then the natural yeah. second is a natural um, half-step approach. And then back to the seventh. Yeah. So. And I think I might do this where I, um, I pull off, I switch uh, positions and I pull off. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. So much tone and a, emotion. At the end of the song, you got, I don't know, you got a theremin or a whammy or a, some kind of echo pedal? Like, oh, the end of the song is, is Eric on a theremin. So there's a, I know offhand there's a couple other arpeggios in there. I'll, I'll take that seventh fret one. Right, and I'm moving, I'm, I'll move to the twelfth fret. Let me try that again. <laughs> so I use Damn, that to, yeah, I use that to get to the, um, the upper register. And I do a lot of the same types of things, the flat fifth, half step approach. Yeah, so a lot of it's just like that melody and just sort yeah. of playing that melody um, in filling in the, the spaces with these fast arpeggios. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of a challenge to make it work. And I just, I don't know, I, it, was, it was different than what I might normally do. And then the, the reaction to it has, has been amazing. People just tell me, oh, it's so different. It's so, you know... That's one of my favorite solos. You know? So, so you just you just never know. And I think, yeah, I I, I learned that lesson again and again and again. Oh, it's yeah. so easy to be, um, you know, to, uh, subjective oh, with yeah. your own playing. I remember this solo I did once, and yeah, it was like, I think it's the best solo I ever did. It was on a four track. It's somewhere. <laughs> my buddy, my roommate. I was like, that sucked. Just do it. He's like, no, that was amazing. I was like, what? And I did not believe him. And then like the next day I came back and listened to it. I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I had your ears listening to that. That is a keeper. I yeah, never would have played that or I never would have kept it. I would have deleted it and just, yeah, it's cool. We've, we've all had those, those moments. And that's why I, yeah, I think another set of years is so important. I'm amazed when I hear of people, yeah, like, brilliant artists who like produce themselves i don't know how you do that like yeah. I, I don't know how prince <laughs> did it word. but you know that's just such a rare thing to be able to do that yeah word on that and i mean before we go any further there's a song symptoms which <laughs> which seems yeah. appropriate a crushing new I, tune. thank you thank you i had no idea this was not <laughs> i had i did not foreshadow 
the uh, great pandemic of 2020. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I, I do, I get asked that. Like, how did you know to write a song called Symptoms? Did you write the words too? Or, or um, some of them. Um, I mean, that shit is heavy. Let me play for a second just sure. a little bit here. I'm going to jump ahead. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Anyway. The there you can really hear kind of one of my signature type of ah, riffs. That's beautiful. Cool. And you like drop E flat there. Um, or drop, it yeah, that, turns it becomes D flat, drop D flat. Yes, exactly. Playing a little bit for the... Uh, that shit is heavy. If someone who's like a big fan I, of The Simpsons could change the lyrics too. The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. <laughs> um, yeah. I I declare a small victory here because um, getting the band to slow down has been a bit of a challenge, and um, you'll you'll notice it's it's not a band with a lot of ballads. Yeah, that's fine. There were some early on, and then. We, all kind of all but gave up on the idea. I mean, there's been one or one or two recently, but it's it's not a power ballad group. But I've been lobbying for a mid tempo song that is really mid tempo. Yeah, and I'll just I'll reveal one battle that took place in the studio that was kind of me versus everybody, which was let's speed it up. And so, I just said I'm going to be the easiest person. To work with on this i'm going to be <laughs> this is going to be the easiest <laughs> you've ever worked with except for that i'm going to ask for one thing we yeah. don't mess with this tempo yeah and i'm so i'm so glad they listen because it's it's crushing and i keep hearing from people and i think now that it's out and now that it's getting the reaction that it is i think you know it'll Maybe it won't be so difficult. Dude, <laughs> I could just see, I could see that song just crushing at the shows. It's cool that you put your foot down, by the way. Like my friend Gretchen Men, she always. Oh, I know Gretchen. Yeah. yeah I, you know I have never, we've never met, but we recently have been sort of tweeting and yeah. messaging. Uh, she's so wonderful. Yeah. She, say, she says, if you're in a band with five people and you get your way 20% of the time, you're doing really well. You're getting it one in five times then you can't complain. So four times oh, out of five, a, you don't get your way, you can't complain because there's four other people. That is so true. Oh my God. I'm going to so, have yeah. to remember that. Yeah, so you got to choose that's your battles. Funny. Yeah, and, that's and really I like, good to know. I like that you insisted on that tempo and I can just picture that. Before we get to the aftermath of this tour, I guess that song, I could just see people getting that slow head bang going to that chorus on that song. <laughs> yeah, we've In never Europe. had a song like that. I, and I love songs like that. So it's like, okay, guys, we have enough 300 mile an hour songs. <laughs> There's yeah. going to be even on this record, and they're great. They're great. I wanted, I, I'm, I love them. But let's have one, one song. It's, and uh, you know, it's. I, I'm, I'm really happy with how how it turned out. You were asking about the words, the words I wrote uh, with Eric. He thought of the title. And um, we were having discussions about um, various things. We were talking about friends we knew who were like in sort of toxic situations. 
So this would have been Sometime. like 2019 when or 18 when you guys were writing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, less within yeah. less than a year ago. So you're talking Probably about within friends like who are, half a year, right? What's that? So you're talking about friends who are uh, dealing with yeah toxic friends situations. that to- are dealing with toxic situations. You know, some sometimes it's a um, romantic relationship. Sometimes it's a, it's a, a friendship, but it's you know somebody that is just like brought down by this person in their life and i had never heard the term when i was younger um borderline personality disorder and i'd never heard the terms narcissistic personality disorders yeah these are these are all in the the dsm you know the uh the scholastic handbook of disorders so that was part of it that that conversation sort of instigated the words and then together we sort of came up with some phrases that sort of found their way in there. They weren't rhythmic at all. They were just sort of sort of words, and then I added to them. But um, a big part of I mean, there's I think there's multiple interpretations. So I started thinking about all the the rash of um, suicides, mm. especially by people who you would think have everything to live for. I mean, so many. People have more to live for than they th- think they do, but yes, just you know, recent you know, recently, like you know, I'm my a huge hero of mine was uh, Anthony Bourdain, probably right. a, you know, hero of many. And yes. I read his books before anybody was watching him on TV, you know, because uh, I had recently moved to New York, and uh, somebody in the restaurant business told me about this book, his book Kitchen Confidential, and. Uh, he just, um, I just, I was into his books. I was into his, uh, his writing, his um, recommendations. Like if he recommended a book or a film, you know, you knew it was yeah. good. And then once he was on cable, everybody else started discovering. And then he just kept rising to the top. And then next thing you know, he's on CNN. Everybody knows him. He's winning Emmys. He's, he, you know, he just seems to be living the greatest life there is. But what who would have seen coming what happened so that's partially what inspired the song but there, you know there's also chris cornell and chester bennington and yeah i mean i could go on and on unfortunately unfortunately yeah well who so, would have expected how uh, pertinent it would have been now tell us what happened you guys came back from this tour and you just got back a couple weeks ago in march after playing like i don't know 5 weeks of europe or something like that yes yeah, so even though the song tends to refer more to um, psychological symptoms. Uh, you know, the word <laughs> symptoms is suddenly taken on a new meaning. So on the one hand, we're very lucky because we completed our tour that began in February and lasted over a month and, and went into March. Along the way, there was one show in northern Italy, in Milan, that got canceled uh, about two days before the show. Like, we didn't really see the cancellation coming until it it happened, even though we'd heard that it was a, a growing problem there. Um, the word coronavirus, it was on everybody's radar by the time we left for the tour, but it wasn't anything we could have seen affecting us. At that point, it was sort of limited to, um, to Asia, and then, you know, they... There would be reports. Oh, Seattle has one person with it. Oh, yeah. some of the, you know. But we thought, okay, there's going to be nothing. Anyway, by the time we 
ended the tour. The final show had gotten canceled. It was in Hanover, Germany, because uh, Merkel and uh, the German government very smartly decided to ban all the all the crowd all the large crowd events. The show the night before, which ended up being our last show, was in Brussels, Belgium. That ended up being the last concert they had before sh- shutting down the city. Zurich, we had played the week before. Uh, they shut down about 48 hours after we put. So we really like dodged a lot of bullets. Right. But then by the time we got back, you know, I was one of the lucky ones. I just I had a cold, which happens sometimes after a month long tour. You know, you're just giving it 200 percent every night, and it just it, yeah. so it, it felt normal. But then some of the others were sick as well, and they were talking about fevers and uh, dry coughs, and uh, it ended up, um, we ended up having two band members test positive for the thing. That was uh, Steve DiGiorgio, the bass player, and Chuck yeah. Billy, our vocalist, yeah, uh, Chuck, as well I as mean, Chuck, his wife. Chuck's wife, too. I know. It's terrible. And Chuck said that him and his wife were so just weak, they could barely walk across the room. Like, they were just... Like it's no joke, apparently. If you really get yeah, stricken. if you get it hard, it's bad. Um, yeah, you become debilitated. Now you're wondering probably where they got it from. I mean, there's a number of theories. I mean, I could have been a, a carrier, and that cold I had right. might have just been the manifestation. Was it a sore, um, sore throat kind of thing? I didn't even. I didn't have a sore throat. I had yeah. sniffles, and I, it just really felt like a typical cold but pretty you know enough of to be bedridden but i wasn't uh debilitated yeah it's interesting because a a good friend of mine his girlfriend got severely ill with a really bad fever and was able to get a test and they insisted that he get tested too she came back negative he had a minor sore throat and he was and he tested positive wow but luckily he's doing better that's the thing it's so unpredictable so either way, I mean, I, I feel pretty lucky, but um, a couple of our crew members ended up testing positive as well. So wow. it's possible that something, you know, it, it happened on being in Europe that, you know, it was going around. But it's also possible that they got it later in Europe because they stayed longer than we did, the crew uh-huh. members. And so I, yes, I flew from Hamburg to New York and... Yeah, never got a severe illness. Gene Hoagland, our drummer, uh, flew to San Diego. He didn't get sick. Eric, uh, same thing, flew to Sacramento. But the San Francisco, the people who went to San Francisco included all those who got sick. Uh, Gary Holt, um, the death, couple of the guys from Death Angel, um, some of uh, the our crew who flew there. So I don't know it could be something that happened uh, at San Francisco. It's just so unpredictable. Well, I hope everybody continues to improve and, and knock that shit out. Yeah, so far, knock on wood, uh, everybody seems to be doing better. And in, in the meantime, there's no shows to play, so... <laughs> That's the weird thing, least, I know. I had yeah. three months of gigs canceled too, you know? It's like, what's it going to be like in June 19th or something when we start up again? Yeah, and, if. Uh, I, people... I, I think that's very optimistic. I know. I don't know. It's all the jury is out on this one. It's just a really weird time, but (laughs) it is weird to be locked up. You know, my brother, how, tell me how Brooklyn is doing where you live. Uh, My brother, you know, he's about my age, a little younger. He's finally just like, 
January 2nd or something, he finally put money down on a condo in in Brooklyn. Oh, good for him. And he's, he's excited about it, of course, but he's also like, you know, the virus hit like a week later or the reports of it. Oh, and he wow. was like, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah, I, it's uh, strange. It's a strange time to, to be here. Yeah, it's a weird time. Uh, but New Yorkers well, it's survive. Definitely, it's definitely testing the um, the loyalty of you know, who's a real New Yorker. Right. Because you know, <laughs> there's peop- people, there's some people have fleed. Yeah, you know, people who can afford yeah. it have fled to summer homes. A lot of others are uh, planning to move. Some have just gotten out, gotten you know, yeah. to visit relatives uh, semi-permanently. And uh, the whole attitude toward towards New York, you know, there's like states talking about quarantining. New- I mean, it's crazy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So any goodwill we had after 9-11, <laughs> which was like adopted by... All these people, yeah, truckers from across the country started putting, you know, the World Trade Center images on their mud flaps. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we are all New Yorkers, and it was just, you know, they kind of overdid it, I think, a little bit. And now, yeah. <laughs> now there's all this this stigma of towards New York, and it's it's just so so bizarre. So you know, um, a lot, I think, a lot of people have come here because it got popular. You know, it's on. Oh, yeah. So how many HBO series uh, are there that right young hip series where it takes place in Brooklyn and people want to be in so now yeah it became I was here before it was cool uh, I yeah. am staying now that it's not cool I, no you're and uh, yeah. you're an old dog now even though you moved there uh, in like 1990 or something no no it was uh 2000 uh, just before 2000 all oh, right right right. So when you left Testament in 92 or something for for your break, you were wanting to pursue more styles and branch out, I guess, and other reasons, but you didn't actually move until later. Yeah, I took a few years, and um, I just uh, wasn't sure what, what I was going to do. Yeah. Uh, there was the lost years, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I try. You know, I played for a couple bands. Um, I went to jam sessions. I uh, did a few high-profile auditions, but you know, I, during that time, I started visiting New York, and I just I'd always liked it. Once I started visiting New York as an adult, starting with the Times Testament would come through. I just I don't know it. it something about it just uh, I I related to it, and um, I started meeting more and more musicians in New York, and then, the, like, the whole stereotype about, you know, New Yorkers being closed off and mean and all that, it just wasn't yeah. true. I had such an easy time meeting musicians oh, and yeah. playing with music, and it was just so communal and good musicians, and and not, I didn't feel judged. I, I felt more than just, you know, the ex guy from that band, and it was like... Yeah, more and more like the signs were okay. I need to, I need to just be just be there. So, but, but yeah, there were there were about five years before I actually made that decision and just decided to make the move. Yes, and of course, you went to the new school there. Shit, sorry. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Pulled on the cable. Same thing has so, happened to me. Like to me, it's amazing. So you you actually took your some of your metal background and you you started applying it in jazz situations. Like let's just take a little listen to. 
This is a famous scorpion song. And then like... Yeah, this was the first one I arranged. No one like you. Like, I mean, it sounds great with that. It works. You got an upright bass. It's legit. It came to me in a, in a dream, and I, I get criticized for saying that, you know, because it sounds so funny. It came to me in a dream. But it's it, it, it honestly did. And um, I'm not saying it like it's some... Uh, you know, supernatural uh, thing. It's at the time I was just playing a lot of standards. Um, that's you know, for the, yeah. to go to go to the new school. I just yeah, I wanted to be able to. I didn't really have any goals. That was part of it too. I didn't even think I was going to record jazz guitar. I was very realistic about it. You know, I knew that you know, jazz guitarists. Most jazz guitarists have been doing that all their lives i just wanted to appreciate it more and put some of it into my playing and you know i didn't know where i was going to end up maybe i would end up um you know maybe having a full-time career in education and it would be very helpful maybe i would play just small room you know it's it just i was totally open but the jazz guitar thing it just came naturally and i just started listening to more and um i just loved playing my hollow bodies by that time um i'd had a, a heritage which <laughs> of course james talked to me <laughs> yeah yeah and i i had asked him uh well what, what if i decide i want to return it and he said he looked at me straight in the eye he said no one ever returns a heritage <laughs> <laughs> classic <laughs> but it's funny cuz i i was deciding between the heritage and the um the Gibson L5. So this Gibson L5 at the time, it was the most expensive guitar I'd ever bought. And um, I kind of made a deal with myself. I said, okay, if I'm going to buy that, I need to get my jazz playing together. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going back. <laughs> you know? So I kind of bought it as incentive. It used to be owned by uh, Calvin Keyes, too, who was this nice. great Bay Area jazz legend. So it, yeah. it had this history. I was buying it in Berkeley. It's blonde. So it looks it looks just like the one West played on uh, yeah West played live at the Subo in Berkeley. So yeah. you know there were all there was all all the symbolism, but it just and I ended up buying the Heritage too because I didn't want to bop around New York with this very valuable L five. So I had these. Right. So anyway, but so I'm in New York. I'm going to the new school. I'm playing a lot of hollow body jazz guitar. I'm learning standards. Yeah, I'm learning you know, like all the Yo Beam stuff. Nice. Playing, you know, stuff like how, um, how insensitive and uh, wave, and so I, I, I had those rhythms in my head. I'm already hearing stuff all the time, like so. It it blended with this at that time distant Scorpions melody because I <laughs> I hadn't listened to the Scorpions in a while, and I just remember w waking up and just he hearing this. Right. That's weird. That's the scorpions, but it works perfectly over this boss and over rhythm. And so I brought it to my, at that time, I was already playing with the drummer from the trio, Matt Zabrowski. 
and different bass players. And we were just, we would practice standards kind of for, as homework assignments. <laughs> We'd be in practice. And I just said, hey, let's, let's try this. This will be, and it was both hilarious and it worked. And wow. it was like the first time that I, you know, something I just did not plan. I just let it happen. And that's kind of guided me ever since. That spirit of just kind of let it flow and go for it. What let it be what it wants to be. Yeah, let it go. Don't over plan. You know, you got to make some plans, but you know, when something happens seemingly naturally like that, you should pr- probably run with it. And I'm I'm not mystical about. It. I'm not saying, oh, it's a sign. Yeah. Uh, right, some right. people choose to believe that, and that's fine. I'm I'm more a little more scientific, but I I do think that creatively i think yeah you have to be open and you have to be open to ideas that you weren't expecting and that was something i wasn't expecting at all and then we had okay we had one song <laughs> that was a scorpion so we yeah we talked about just yeah playing some small places in new york just to get the experience of, of playing we would play that song <laughs> and you could see yeah. heads turn because people <laughs> knew that well, you awesome. know people yeah, people who were you know maybe just in the cafe or the uh, bar or wherever it was we were playing. All of a sudden, you know they. That's do, great. Do well, you're day. you're a crossover artist in when in those years, and um, and your fans would be crossovers too because they were like you know they know you from from Testament, and then they they would love. I'm sure you had folks come out and check you out, and it's nice for them to hear some familiar metal stuff. It's been that way ever since. Like, yeah. it, it's. We've we now have several albums. We've played everywhere from like the the Blue Note in Milan to Yoshi's in Oakland, and it it's become a thing. And we we have numerous arrangements, but we, the new album is mostly originals called Conundrum. But yeah. that was how it started, and then from that song, oh, let's we need another one. <laughs> and I just remember always thinking the melody in uh, the guitar solo for Detroit Rock City has always reminded me of like a Latin thing, right? Um, yeah. Right? So that became the next song. <laughs> it's like Detroit Rock City, which led Sweet. to uh, Dream On, which, you know, so. Um, you, before we get back to the brutality that people yes. want and crave, can you show <laughs> us like, just a little bit of... Uh, one of your chordal things, or I don't know. Do you get? I don't know if you have. To, if you have to switch guitars and everything, we don't. We don't necessarily have to. I don't know if you had a clean tone on the. Or, yeah, Grab yeah. an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So I don't know if you can hear it. Yeah, you picking up one of your Godin guitars. Yeah, this is a Godin Multiac. Godin. So, so let's get this right. Is it Godin or what? I think it's Godin. Oh, okay. That's how you say it in Montreal, but yeah, you know it's. If if you're American, you probably say Godin. <laughs> yeah, but they yeah they say go down. That's beautiful. Okay, so um, I realized the, the Scorpions have such great melodies. That's why No One Like You was the first song we arranged. But the one that we pretty much always play without fail to this day is um, Still Loving You. Oh, sweet. So that one. I saw that tour. Yeah, the original tour. Yeah, that was the Rocky Like a Hurricane tour or whatever that was called. Uh, yeah, that was uh, Love at First Sting. Love at First Sting. Oh, a little yeah. unknown band opened for them on that show. It was at the Cow Palace. The band was called Bon Jovi. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay. It's amazing Dang. how like the support acts from some of those shows just went on to be you know, massive. 
Just gonna tune up real quick. Just dating myself tremendously there while uh, Alex Skolnick is tuning his Godan. <laughs> yeah, so the the original is sort of you know it's this power ballad like Right, so we do it yeah. more like a, a waltz or like a six eight like a So here's a, I might throw in a, throw in a jazz thing, right? I've, there's a, uh, I love it. Sharp five. Beautiful um, chord. So then the chord melody. to the chorus. Oh, that's beautiful. Kind of beautiful. I'm you just kind of winging it here, but um, it I, it yeah. just totally lends itself to that stuff. So it was just yeah, it was yeah. taking everything I was learning at the new school and you know studying Wes and yeah. all these jazz grades and just trying to ap- apply that. And well, you, I was going to say, you know, sense. I love that you changed the time. Like I love doing that. I don't know if you know this famous Bach piece. Yeah, so like it's like the. It's originally like this. Oh well, yeah, I, I like it. I changed it up and I put it in four four. Man, it goes like this. That works great. Man. Yeah, it just keeps going. I got to get to one of the juicy chords. Oh, it's cool. (laughs) I had to change some of the bass line stuff, but I love doing that. Or this one, you change the rhythm to this one. Break. Change it to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun to just mess around. So I totally support like reworking a song like you did in changing the time and it becomes something totally different but it's still the same song yeah yeah well we do that often yeah so um trying to think of another example of that um well there's others that we don't here's a here's a a fun example where we don't do that um (laughs) 
Beautiful. But what we do, what we do differently, so the tempo is the same, right? It's still this, but the rhythm, the the guy, what the guys are doing is, um, I would say it's hip hop, but it's more like um, it could it could almost be hip hop. And I changed the chords. Yeah, I'll I'll just show you the chords. Okay. I did that chord wrong, but it's all right. better with bass. Fantastic. Yeah, and then for the solo, it just stays on C. It's just this group. And it goes yeah. all kinds of places. It gets really like um, high energy at a certain point with like yeah that's great and I, I quote a lot of stuff i quote jimmy i quote mclaughlin now i got it playing on my speakers here oh nice beautiful you should check out the live version too that we did uh two years ago this is the end of the song now on the studio version okay that's great it's cool it still sounds it's, it's so funny it's it sounds good, but it's it's very different than how we play it now. Well, that's so there's a, that's um, the thing. Things really evolve. Yeah. So I, I would rec- I mean, it's. I would say I would encourage people to check that version out for historical reference, if you will. But yeah. uh, the version that's on a recording called Live Unbound is the version to check out because it really like kind of captures how we how we do it live and. So now maybe we can go back into the rock zone for a quick minute yes sir that's beautiful because you're talking about the way things evolve over time you know like i guess your practice what you preach solo you're saying that you've really kind of grown that over the years and i was curious if you could just bust some of that out for us if you're feeling warmed up enough here's yeah well yeah it's a it's a funny i was just having a conversation um with fans about this you know I don't like to play this exactly like on the record, note for note. But I do like to make it recognizable. And occasionally I'll, yeah, somebody will give me a hard time. Like, uh, we just did this this Rush video. It's me, Charlie Benante, and Ra from Suicidal Tendencies. That's, uh, we did the, uh, you know, a little quarantine jam. That's cool. That, yeah, I remember. And you and me played with Charlie at Nam. We played a yes. Steely Dance. Wasn't that great? Yeah, yeah, that was great. So Fourteen hundred people catch. packed into a room with no thought of some virus. I, mean, I, that was I like know. Sp- I, it's yeah. like a different era, a bygone era. Um, yeah. But yeah, he and he's such a great drummer, right? He did great on this. That was great to play for us to play together, and that that whole band was was awesome. Yeah. Just a side um, note here, but wasn't that kind of funny on the side here? To, that like I think the first two bands that came out like it was an all star jam kind of thing right and uh, 
Like there's like Black Sabbath song before us or something. It's all, you know, a lot of heavy shit. The sound system, super loud. I'm like, how is Steely Dan going to go over here? You just didn't, don't really know. And then we played that song. What was it? Josie. Josie, yeah. And it just, it just hit the crowd so strongly. Like, you know, it's a total different flavor, but through that system and the melody, people singing along. And I think they were ready. (laughs) Yeah, it was. They were so ready for something, a nice change of pace right there. Oh, yeah. See if I remember it. I love that intro. Charlie's Groove yeah. it was so good. So um, you and Charlie did a, yeah, a, but, a Rush thing. So we did a Rush song. It, it's gone semi-online. It's gotten so much traffic. Uh, it's gone semi-viral. I guess that's a bad choice of words these days. <laughs> <laughs> which, which song did you guys cover? We did YYZ. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I was just going to say, like, even that song, uh, I'll do the same thing. Like, you, you'll recognize parts of it as being the solo, but it's not exact. And actually, most people seem to really appreciate it. Occasionally, there's some dweeb that wants it exactly like on the record. And if you didn't really? do it exactly like it's on the record, you did a terrible job. And the other guys did okay. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's my approach. Then the, you know, there's guys like um, like Al, you know, the great, great one of everybody's favorites, Alan Holdsworth. Oh, I yeah. think maybe I w- I would have liked him to improvise maybe a little less at at times because like the song Metal Fatigue, for example, that yeah. beginning is just so beautiful and so incredible. I need to hear at least that. <laughs> you know? yeah. Then then. I, if I, you know, not like he'd listen to me, but I would have said, Alan, <laughs> this is what you need to, but, you know, it doesn't matter. But he would, if you listen to live songs, like he doesn't play any of the recorded solo. So, right. which, you know, the long, long story short, I like to find a balance. I like to make it recognizable, but I like to sneak in other stuff. So which brings us to practice what you preach. So, um, well, so most of the song is in E. Here's the main riff. Uh, Yeah, let me try that again, tuned up. Hang on. I can listen One to you play that shit all day. <laughs> Just gotta bring it down a notch. Okay, here, here we go. I'm gonna just play, play a couple of the riffs. Sure. I love it, man. I could watch Thank that you. all day, too. I just love metal rhythm parts, man. Yeah, it, there's so, a whole art art to that. And um, yeah. What do you think I is the to, art? What's the art to playing? What are you talking about here? Oh, um, you know, I, I came into it from a slightly different place, right? I was 
my guys were uh, Van Halen, Randy Rhodes. I loved the first Dio record. So I was really kind of coming from more of a power metal place. And then a lot of the technical guitar players at the time were joining glam metal bands, which I never wanted to do. I never wanted to wear Aquanet or you know Leopard Prince or whatever. <laughs> so I liked right. going to thrash shows, but yeah, I was really like this sort of power metal lead guitar guy, and it took me a while to learn uh, the art of the rhythm. So I learned a lot from working with Eric. He's just a you know, master riff. Meister. Well, he's just and, metal to the core, that guy. Yeah, like he when is. I, when, I, okay, when I had him at the clinic at a... Every time I talk with my hands, I'm not going yeah. <laughs> when I When I had Eric at the clinic uh, at MI, you know, you got a room full of wide-eyed young students, like 200 kids, and he he's one of those guys. And I like these guys that don't hold back any stories, man. Like, right. He's talking about fights and like... <laughs> drug problems and recoveries and then he's like yeah he told this epic story of like smoking a joint with tony iomi and ronnie james dio <laughs> but it was it was hilarious yeah, that guy is metal he's brutal. pure metal exactly I love so i don't i've never claimed to be pure metal but i learned i learned from the metal guys um and then yeah at various points in time we've toured with bands that have great riff guys uh anthrax for example we've toured with them many times. Scott, Ian, uh, he's somebody, you know, you can just listen to him play riffs and it's so musical. It's just, it's a show in itself. And it's just, yeah. his between his tone and his, so, yeah, I mean, I think part of the, the art of doing it, it's, it takes, you know, it takes a lot of coordination, a lot of um, balance between muting and not muting and the, you know, there's different types of picking that. I think it's it's much more intricate than people give it credit for. You know, normally the yeah. the the rock riff is sort of like the the easier part in music. Stere you know, stereotypically compared to you know the technical solo or or whatever. But yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of these, even the ones that sound easy, are, are not easy. <laughs> I know. Well, and then yeah. you got to lock it up with the, the band and have that pocket. You know? Yeah. So that practically you preach, that was the first one where I just thought I want, you know, I want to expand this. And I, I had been recent. This was like right around 1990 or approaching 1990. And I, we, we'd done the first couple records. Um, yeah, I was still a teen. I hadn't, you know, been out of high school that that long so i'd had this crash course of just learning on the road and uh making records and i just remember to, you know god and i really like i like a lot of the, the solos that were done before that but just so many of them were in e and at this point i w i went back i looked at some of my um satriani notes you know because i'd taken lessons from joe for a couple years a lot of that stuff, and I'm, I'm so grateful, but it, some of it was over my head. Uh, but it, w it was good. I mean, he helped me with where I was at the time, but he also gave me a lot of stuff that, you know, to take with. Yeah, you're just 20 that, years old or something. I mean. At yeah, that at that point, I think I'm, I'm 20. Yeah. And when I was studying with him, I was 15. Amazing. Yeah, so here I am 20, and I just thought, okay, I need to get out of E. There's got to be a way. So I kind of designed that 
solo section as a modal exercise. And I wasn't planning on connecting it to that song. You know, I was thinking it would be really cool if we use it, but I just sort of, yeah, on a lark, I said, you know what? I have this one thing. It's kind of the same tempo as that song. It's a little slower, but I'll speed it up. And it, and I was, yeah, I was kind of thinking of like surfing with the alien had come out recently and I was kind of still, you know, in my Joe pupil <laughs> frame of mind. So, right. All right, so that's Phrygian, Aeolia. It's related, right? Back to Phrygian. A flat, slight key change. Climb back up to the Phrygian. Yeah. So it's just kind of working around that key. Back to the A flat. And then it stays on there. And then there's a riff. That's in B flat and then opening. Yeah. Right. So it's so interesting looking at it now. I see what some of those influences are. Right. So again, surfing with the alien was kind of new. So I was kind of thinking. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and then the end of the solo when it goes to E. So that lick is. Uh, Right? Yeah. So I got that from um, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan was kind of popular, right? That's totally where that comes from. Right. So all right, so here's the whole the whole solo as I would play it. I don't have the band, so it's yeah. not gonna be exactly how I I'll I'll play it a little more like I, I normally play it. But I mean this is this is kind of how where it's evolved to. This. Yeah, and also all those influences, they're, they're still there. I still yeah. sort of, but when it, oh, also when it goes to F sharp, right, I know t I might not do the exact blues lick that's on right, the record, right. but it is a blues lick. Yeah, yeah. So well, let's, let's see what happens. Cool. One, two, one, two, Joe thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, yeah, I messed. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> I messed up the chord. It doesn't matter. You can keep it. But I, I was supposed to go to a, uh, a G at the end, and I went to a B flat. But dude, you have you the get- funnest job in the world. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, it's- to, to be able to go back and forth between playing those huge rhythm parts and then playing those leads, it's like must be just a. I love. Okay, like a tiny little detail. I love how at any time at the end of a phrase, you can just call in a crazy pick harmonic. You know yeah, I mean? that just comes from doing it for a long time. And then some of some of it, it really helps to bounce off the um, the drums. Like that's tough to play by itself, but I've done that song. I get asked about that song enough and in clinics and... Um, guitar camps and stuff like that. So I've sort of worked yeah. out a way to to play it um, solo, even though it's not, it's not ideal. I'll just add, too, at the very end, the thing I did... Um, that's the harmony of this. Yeah. And I had just learned... Well, I, I'd gone through my, my notes, and Joe had written... Out, you know, melodic minor. Right. I'm like, all right, I, I, I need to just put this scale to you. So I just learned melodic minor, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to put that in the song. And when you harmonize those. All right, like on the fast section of that solo, when you're doing like, it's like, it seems like you mix the one you, the solo you just played. Um, it seems like when you're doing some really fast runs in the middle, some of it's legato maybe, and some of it's picked, but you got such a good tone that the attack is strong, whether you're picking or playing a legato note. Oh, thanks. Right? Um, yeah. Like, like the, the picking on it, um, again, that that's where it really helps to have the drums. Like there's this one part with this yeah. trill picking, like, and, and this, this run, I'll just play the notes of the right. It's just, you know, frigid. And then, the, yeah, then there's the trill. And then I sneak in my Satriani pick thing. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, but, but you made sure not to tell the rest of the band where that influence was coming from. Because right, it right, wouldn't be right. metal. Because you were the younger cat. You were younger than those guys by a little bit, right? Oh you yeah, just... I, I kept I kept a lot of influences from them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. you're like, oh yeah, you know, that's just some uh, some Slayer shit. That, but yeah, it's heavy, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you, I guess, well, what are you playing through today, anyway? Okay, so today, um, yeah, I've been set. Up, I'm set up for um, recording because I've a bunch of like guest recording opportunities have come up. Which is which has been fun, um, and then these quarantine jams, right? And there's there's yeah. been a few. Um, so I've found so far the best setup for that is um, the Kemper Profiler, which yeah. uh, I also we also use live on tour. Oh really? Um, we all have them. Yes, we started using them a few years ago. I mean, you and Eric, me and Eric and Steve. The, really? So. The ba- on bass, yeah. And our front of house man is very thankful because, you know, one of the great things is it's the same sound every day. Yeah. It's digital. So you turn it on, 
you have the same sound. It's not affected by knobs. You don't have to go through the process of dialing in. Um, it's not affected by tubes going bad. It's not affected by fuses blowing. So, yes, I still like uh, amps for the studio, especially if I'm if I'm doing a single guitar project. I've got but, so many questions. Do you do you uh, okay? Do you bring spare Kempers? Yes. Yeah, so we have two. We each have two. So I have another one that is uh, stored with the rest of the band's gear. But it's been great. So I, I got it just, you know, as a as a backup. But it's also become my home recording rig. Right. And it's just it's worked out great. I mean, the sound I've I've changed I've I've come up with a few sounds that are slightly different like what I'm playing now isn't exactly what I use with the band. This is more like a kind of an all-around sound. Right. It's a little less overdriven. So but now for, I, ha- I have to take a testament detour here. Uh-huh. So do you do you guys um cuz I was even before we got on the phone I'm really curious about like I've toured with a lot of different situations but you know not, never with a metal army like you guys. Uh-huh. Now do you guys rent cabinets or what does the stage look like with no you're not using amps do you have cabinets up there for effect or what? Well we yeah we the way testament has worked for the last few years we have cabinets they're hidden. They're hidden behind scrims. So the scrims right. are just like an image. Right now, it's the uh, current artwork. Like the album cover? Titans of Creation. Yes. For the last few years, it's been based on earlier albums. Uh, but yeah, the scrim basically goes from the drum riser to stage right and stage left. And it's just, yeah, it's just this cloth with a, um, an image on it. Those things get pretty big. Is that something you can, like, if you need to do a, f- a flyaway date for one city and the next day get in another city, can you just throw that on the plane? Not, maybe not the whole thing. Like, there, we have different setups. So right. if if we're just playing a, uh, a festival and it's a support slot, then it's, like, the bare minimum. There might be some, um, there might be some staging and some, but it's really not not that much because it's a, it's a short set, and usually shows like yeah. that. Uh, say we're flying in for a festival, then yeah. we'll we can just rent cabinets or have cabinets provided by the festival. But right. have, we bring the camp, we always bring the campers, and then we always have our sound, and it's just been amazing. Are you going through the cabinets, or are you using? The, I assumed you were using the stage monitors, but do you have the Kemper tone going through guitar cabinets? Well, so the front of house is here as a direct feed. Right. So you're mostly hearing that. I hear the cabinets. I like to hear the cabinets. I like to get yeah. feedback. So uh, are you and it using acts the, as a monitor. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. It's weird with the phone delay. That's okay. It's not perfect, folks, using this, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the satellites. We're going through the satellites here. But um, I was going to say, so do you use the powered Kempers, and is that enough power for you, or do you have some other way of boosting your tone through those cabinets, your, your volume level? Yeah, we have um, we we have additional power cabinets as well. Additional uh, but those, artillery. Those those can be, but yeah, those can be provided though. You just what you do is you just um, you have a uh, a, a rider, rider or a carnet, and yeah. yeah, you just you have your your so power how do you amp. amp? Yeah, what power amp do you use to crank up that Kemper through the guitar caps? Um, the ones we've been using, there's been this one by uh, Orange that we've used that that's that's really good. I, I don't cool. remember the 
right, uh, the but, make or model number. Gotcha. So how many people does Testament bring on a tour like this last tour? Obviously, you got the band members, but what extra crew and people working for you? I obviously Chuck's wife was working was on the tour with you guys. I don't know if she has a role in the band. Yeah, she's a production Tiffany. manager. Tiffany's oh, okay. a, a production manager. Uh, there's a um, a stage left guitar tech who just takes care of, of Eric because he needs his own guy. <laughs> um, uh, stage right, we have somebody that takes care of myself and Steve, uh, the bass player. So yeah. to the two guitar techs, there's a, a drum tech. There Sweet. is a um, lighting designer. Uh, we've had the same one for years. She's fantastic. Her name's uh, Margarita. She's from that's, Portugal. I mean, having three techs and a lighting designer is definitely, that's in the, you are now well into the realm of quote unquote real band. <laughs> yes. And a, fr- and, a f- and a front of house. And a front of house. It's amazing. Yeah. And it depends guys. what your, yeah, what your um, setup is. My friends, Rodrigo and Gabriela, you know, it's just two acoustic guitars, yeah. but they also have a huge crew because they have a, they have a huge sound and they do have a whole production wow. that goes along with their show. So anyone in addition to the front of house? Um, on most tours, there is a, mo- a monitor engineer as well. Sweet. Yeah. And sometimes there there's an additional tour manager. Nice. Occasionally you get a, a monitor person or a front of house person who doubles as a tour manager. If you don't have that, is does Tiffany the default tour manager if they're not a, if you don't have a separate one? Well, tour managing is a it's a whole other ball right. game. So no, we, we got, usually yeah. we need somebody. We've we've had this yeah. same one these last these last few times. Oh, I thought you were and, saying sometimes you don't have one. Uh well if it's a if it's a short like if it's like a right. one off or we're flying in for a festival. Right, right. That's you guys different. can be it, trusted to make it to one gig on your own. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. You'd be surprised. But uh, are you guys a punctual band? Like lobby call is like in my band, Jefferson Starship, very rarely is anyone more than three minutes late to yeah, to, same thing. To the van. I mean, at, the, at this point, yeah, there's just people don't like to wait around. So, um, I, I was talking to my friend Tom, who used to manage. He used to be the MD for Eddie Money. Oh wow, Tommy Gervin. He ran a tight ship, man. Tom would be like anyone who showed up eight oh one, like fifty dollar fine immediately or something. Mm. I mean, it's different than Testament, which is a band, right? But, yeah, uh, I mean, every, everybody's everybody's different. I mean, there's uh, yeah some organizations are very yeah more, more intense about it. Yeah, I've done for a while before Testament got reunited. I was doing a bunch of hired gigs, and uh, I played for some interesting situations. I, one of them was uh, this folk singer. She's passed away, unfortunately, but a Jewish folk singer named Debbie Friedman, and. Uh, and there were some good people in that band. It was like, yeah, yeah it was like Suzanne Vega's bass player and uh, the Manhattan Transfer yeah. keyboardist and uh, Hagar wow. Ben Ari, actually, who's now on Late Show with James Corden. A couple times was the bass player. But yeah, something like that. Yeah, you just <laughs> you will get glared at if you're if you're late. Or uh, yeah, I did a few like musical yeah. theater <laughs> type shows um, with Jekyll and Hyde in concert. Which was like a symphonic version of that show, and wow, yeah, it's just everybody's everybody's early. Oh yeah, it's funny, man. Like a lobby call with a band, you know, people are already grumpy from getting out of bed, and it might be early or something. So yeah, 
They don't want to be. Yeah, and occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, like if it's an early call, you'll have somebody yeah. oversleep or something, and then you know they. Nobody wants to be that person at a certain point. You know what I mean? It, it matters. Oh, dude. It matters to be on time. Oh, my biggest mess up once was we had a we had to leave. It was one of these ridiculous things. We had to leave the hotel at two thirty in the morning. Uh-huh. To I think was it yeah leave at two thirty I guess to get to the airport at like five or something and get on a six o'clock flight and it happened to be daylight savings time and I had set my my clock for like two o five a.m. I forget oh. what happened, but basically, I set my clock right. in that hour that disappeared. Oh, so, my God. So the alarm didn't go off because it's that hour was vaporized because the clocks jumped ahead by an hour at 2 a.m. <laughs> oh, man, I never heard the end of that one. Yeah, but, I've um, had two flights that come to mind where, um, well, one time, yeah, I learned never to make this mistake, but, you know, just look, you know, it's a connecting flight overseas, and you look at the... Um, the day you catch the second flight is after the date changes. So you look and the date oh, no. is wrong. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, my uh, my flight that I'm supposed to catch left yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, you, you leave you leave Japan or something and then you arrive after an eight hour, ten, maybe nine hour flight, you arrive in California three hours before you left. I know that's that's always kind of surreal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. So anyway, we're getting off. But uh, it is amazing that bands are that hard bands, heavy, brutal bands are using direct. You know, like I did a cover story on Metallica last year, and James and Kirk, man, they're using Axe Effects. I'm talking to James on the phone. He was overseas, uh-huh. in like Indonesia, and he actually said that even Metallica, it's cheaper too. Like, I mean, they like the consistency, like you said, but. Instead of because they have like two different stages flying around at the same time, two different arena shows, and like yeah, well, even on their of, level, you have to be yeah budget conscious. Budget conscious, of course, at their level is very very yeah. different than us mere mortals. But yeah, they probably save hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in shipping. But yeah, it adds for guitar up. rigs. Absolutely. That, yeah. Well, anyway, absolutely, and it's interesting too because um, yeah, I know a lot of I know people who like Axe Effects a lot. And I've, I've tried some of the other ones. Um, I've just never really been yeah. able to find a sound that feels like my sound. It's a great sound. It's just not my great sound. But it, somehow with the Kemper, I've been able to. Yeah, Kemper is very, very popular. And especially from people who like to get a variety of different tones and more brown sound and stuff. Yeah, so but, we have that. But we do have we do have the cabinets. So it's not like if you watch us, it's just you're not going to hear anything. Oh no! Um, yeah, it'll be crushing. I've, yeah, like I've uh, I've watched a couple bands on the side, like Periphery. Um, you need you need headphones. Yeah, you have to like stand at the desk and listen at the the extra headphones from the the uh, monitor engineer, or you're not gonna. It's gonna sound like nothing. It's gonna sound like like drums. Interesting. Yeah. Front of okay. house. Yes. Front of house. You'll you'll hear it and it'll sound great. Right. Right. Oh yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, a lot of bands like that. No, no amps or yeah. We did a sh- we did a show with Huey Lewis in the news, man. The loudest thing was like the horn section. Wow. There was no monitors on stage anywhere. The guitar player was playing really quiet. You know. Yeah, that's what's going on these days. Yeah. 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 So 
You know, it boggles my sure. mind that I've known you for all these years, and the first time I saw you play was back at the Berkeley Square, and you're from Berkeley, and, and it blows my mind when I see that Testament is listed as, you know, being a thrash band from Berkeley, California, but it is a interesting I was the place. only one from Berkeley. Oh, so they give it, it, <laughs> we, we get that label, and we rehearsed in Oakland. Yeah, interesting. Well, so many- But technically, it's much more of like a e- further East Bay band. Yeah, well, the further East Bay, I mean, that, that's where you're getting into like Primus and Metallica and these other bands and Sacrilege was from Berkeley too. Um, yeah, well, that's actually, um, yeah, that's almost that's almost uh, Northeast Bay. Right, right. But like, I'm talking like distant, distant East Bay is where like, uh, where Chuck is from. Like Pittsburgh or something or like out there? Or Dublin. Cr- Dublin, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of metal comes from the, the suburbs, man. I you probably know... Um, Phil, uh, formerly of Machine Head. I know Chris Contos, drummer, who played with you guys. At some okay, point. Well, I don't know if you were in the band at that point. That might have been in the Lost Years. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. But, but where Phil, did you go? To- Phil Demmel is also from Dublin. Like, there was a whole scene out in Dublin. Yeah. And I know that your father was, maybe your mom too, were professors at Berkeley? or Yeah, my, both my parents were uh, academics. At UC Berkeley, so so the, I always had New York in my blood because they were, uh, yeah, yeah, they were born and raised in in New York. There's a lot of good rock that came out of that scene, you know, Green Day. So many people don't realize the power of of the East Bay. There's some good shit came out of there, man. Oh, it's amazing, um, Charlie Hunter. I was just uh, chatting Sat- on Instagram with him the other day. Satriani, right. so um, who originally came from New York? Yeah, yeah. But he, he really developed his thing in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, all the Berkeley High students were uh, taking lessons from him. Yeah. So uh, what's the most brutal thing that you've seen at a Testament show? Like, I mean, take put us in the in your shoes playing thrash metal. A lot of us haven't really gotten to do this. Like, But we all, we've been there. We've seen the mosh pits and and uh, who knows what else. <laughs> yeah, well, any- there's, a, there's a thing in Europe called the Wall of Death. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Yeah, that's where the crowd, at least the crowd, the crowd that's on the floor, the mosh pit, they split into opposing sides, and it looks like um, <laughs> like a like a medieval war. Looks like <laughs> like the Game of s- Game of Thrones or something, oh where they God. and they just charge at each other, <laughs> <laughs> and they actually get organized enough to kind of split like the Red Sea and Moses, and kind of split, and then they. Yeah, yeah. Well, the music—it's it, only in certain parts of the music. Okay, so they, like sometimes they like, will hold an open chord, you know, and if they and they'll do either they'll do it or or maybe Chuck will direct them to do it. That's hilarious. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's it's something it's something else. Ever had like fans jumping on stage or just getting too rowdy? Or I mean, we've all had that kind of stuff, right? Um, hey. not as much lately. I mean, I think um, we're sort of we're in an era where they. You know, the venues know how to, how to deal with the yeah. crowds. They know how far to keep them away. The security guards, for the most part, oh, yeah. are are much better. Like they used <laughs> to be violent, and they would they wouldn't know how to handle the crowd. Yeah. But now now they they handle them better for the most part. Yeah, there's always oh, yeah. exceptions, but now they rescue uh, them. You know, like if you see these shows, there's like a wall of security guards in front of the barricade to rescue right. people as they come come up to the front and they're like crowd surfing they just give them a safe landing bring them down so they don't break their neck as they yeah. fly over the that, that's their whole purpose really they're not even doing yeah, security that's, there's a, 
that's how it is now. A lot of those guys grew up listening to the stuff now. You know, it's yeah. like so it's not this this new thing. So yeah, now there's a whole system around it. So did you want to um play another riff from the new record? I don't know. Or about... I could switch guitars and we could do um yeah look bef- at symptoms. Yeah, before you go, let's definitely well, check out some of these drop D, which would actually be drop D flat. Okay, riffs. let me do a, a little bit of Children of the Next Level. Oh, cool. That's a um that's a video. There's a, yeah. a funny uh, cartoon video that just came out for that one. Yeah, this is the opening track, not yeah, in so, drop uh, tuning. Yeah. I don't, normally it is E flat. Oh yeah. Actually, you know what? I, I should I, to make it proper. I should switch guitars. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah give me give me one moment. Yeah. Bring the brutality. Ah. Let's make it brutal. Oh, I'm missing the 7 p.m. cheer. Oh, yeah. The 7 do you guys PM. do that out there? No, I mean, New York is so much more compact. So you're talking about the cheering when the healthcare workers yeah, when they switch shifts. shifts. And, uh, yeah, I think you guys are more able to hear each other. You know, everything's a little more spread out in L.A. Maybe in some neighborhoods they're doing that. I don't know. Yeah, it's a big thing in Europe, too. Hell, yeah. It's what, right, man. Let me just... So uh, it starts out two, three, four. Got to tune up again. Sorry. (laughs) I'll get it. One more time. That's a few of them. So satisfying. I love it. Yeah, so Eric's got a certain style. You know, he does a lot of these yeah. these kind of gallops and he'll yeah. throw octaves in like uh like Yeah, it's all like it all goes back to William Tell. Kind of. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's such a great I don't that it almost works. I might yeah, have to man. work on that. <laughs> I mean, we could talk all day about the similarities yeah. between classical and speed metal, but yeah. I digress. <laughs> okay, so you were asking about uh, symptoms earlier. So that one we have the old drop tuning. And I actually wrote the song on bass, oh, really? which came in really handy because, yeah, just playing it on, on my, my bass, uh, which is a Fender Marcus Miller, incidentally. Um, nice. I, I just use it for demos. I, I wouldn't 
hire myself to play bass live, but I could pull it off. But you know, it, <laughs> with some rehearsal. But you know, I I for my demos, it, it works out great. So so I was jamming on the bass, and I I came up with uh, this part. One, two, three, four. I was sort of picturing something like, uh, yeah. yeah, the Steve Harris thing. Yeah. But it ended up being this thing with layered guitars. So. Right, harmonized. Right. So. So that's yeah, that's a whole intro, and then the main riff. I think I, I was able to come up with that. Um, yeah, because it was a bass. I was just focused on cool sounding notes. Yeah, and I was just playing this on the bass. So imagine this on a bass. So I just like yeah. those notes. Dude, I just so to heavy. not have the right, and to not be holding this instrument where I, you know, I'm just so. I know it backwards and forwards. I think it helped having these limitations of just, whoa, oh, those notes. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Right. So then when I transferred it to guitar, I'm like, okay, what if I do it an octave higher? Yeah. So then I had this little space in between. So let's throw in a chug. And it's like, oh, now it's starting yeah. to sound like, um, you know, it's 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 got it's got this feel of like Godzilla, like, yeah. and then, <laughs> right. So that became yeah. the riff. And I was just repeating that, but then it gets too repetitive. So it's like, okay, let's let's make it a little bit different. So the second one, this. Actually, sorry, I do that higher. Right. There we go. And then I have almost a complete riff, but then it needs like a turnaround. So I played around and came up with this. So then the whole thing. Yep, and that perfect tempo. So juicy, man. That's why, yes, it needs the tempo again yes i put my foot down we need we needed that yeah. tempo i love it when like gene hoagland will switch into halftime or something during a fast tune too oh yeah yeah well, he's got so much variety you know it's he's a lot of fun to play with because he's just he knows yeah. so much so much about music too he's actually a very diverse musician incredible they drummer and for, yeah they know him for this ultra heavy music but i can throw out um stevie wonder rush Led Zeppelin, yeah. Van Halen, even like more obscure stuff, he'll he'll know it all. 
That's awesome. And and no offense to the early days of thrash metal, but like, you know, you listen to some some of your early records, like from '88 or something, or I forget which song. The tempos it'll move around a little bit from the chorus to the verse and back, you know. Oh Gene yeah. Hoag- yeah. Gene Hoagland is just a machine. It's right, and it, and all of you have locked it up over the years, I'm sure too. Well, but, I think that's one of the reasons why the band had a comeback in a way, because just it's powerful now. It's this combination. Yeah, you have this drummer that's at this super pro level. Yeah, I think just having somebody you know who is a career drummer. If he's not playing drums for this man, he will play for somebody else. <laughs> he does. He yeah. play. You know, he does play for others. You know, he's in demand. Yeah, death and um, yeah, Death Clock, um, Dark Angel got back together. He's he's done some other thing. He did some other project with Brendan Small. And uh, is a drummer like you know, that tired? I mean, most drummers are are a little usually a little more exerted or tired after a big show than the guitar player might be. You know. <laughs> What I think we're is, we're all tired after <laughs> after those. Yeah, shows. yeah, I hear you. So none of us are kids anymore. So, uh, but it's you know it's worth it though. It's got and it yeah you, know, you don't want to push yourself so hard that you know I think if it was a longer show it might be tough. But yeah. um, one of the things you know I was ta- talking about before the band reunited, I was doing um, some a bunch of gigs you know, as a hired guy. Such as right. you know, Jekyll and Hyde, Debbie Friedman, and stuff like that. A lot of lesser known stuff, but one of the more known projects I played with was called the Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, I was which during the during the time I was there, it became the top holiday show, one of the top ten grossing concerts. Period. Yeah. And um, we I love would that often. I love that it's a Christmas band. You know, to me, it's like the it's the metal equivalent of Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, in a way, yeah. It's just that's okay. Over over the top, and also, also I have to give it credit in a way for kind of helping get me back into sort of being a performer. Like when you know when I started coming out with my instrumental albums, I'm not going to say I was like a a snob or anything. Maybe I was, but I was just sort of in this art mode. I'm just like you know what? It's about the art. It's about the music. Um, it's not about, you know, staging and, but (laughs) I end up, uh, playing with this project, which it's just so many bells and whistles and, uh, just over the top at every level from the fire to the lights. And, you know, as we grew, we started playing arenas. I also realized, you know what? I have to play in a way that is it going to reach somebody in the back of the arena up at yeah. the second level? That person is not going to notice. It doesn't matter how not, how good the solo is I'm playing. They're not going to notice unless I am like holding the guitar and I'm running and I'm, and I'm getting attention. So I yeah. think, you know, it's very, in a funny way that prepared me for the later wave of Testament. Cause when I came back to, Testament. I'm sure everybody thought I was just this jazz nerd that had to relearn metal, but instead I was just this you came back arena. Yeah, I, I came back pumped, and I was this arena yeah. performer, and I wanted oh, to yeah. bring that experience of you know, playing with TSO all those years to um, to Testament. But w- one of the reasons I thought of it is, as fun as it was, and as great as the experience was, at very various times, it was exhausting, and especially 
two shows in a day. And that that I think they've cut the shows down a little bit, but those shows, man, they were like over two and a half hours each. Yeah. Wow. And then Joel and Hoekstra was mentioning so that, that you guys would often do meet and greets too or something in between. Sometimes. Oh yeah, there's always a meet and greet after. So Joel yeah, Joel Joel yeah. took over after I left. And he's yeah. Still there, bless him. <laughs> I, I don't know how he does it because uh, I've talked to him about it. like he'll go from that straight to another tour, coming straight from another tour. Uh, I yeah. would always need this recovery period after doing TSO, and also I was so fried, especially after doing um, like two shows in a day, and that's one thing that does not happen with Testament is two shows right. in the day. So I. Don't remember like I've I've been pretty burned out, but usually like only at the maybe at the very end of a tour with like a brutal flight schedule and no sleep. Maybe then I will feel a bit of what I felt doing with TSO. <laughs> right, I can only imagine, man. Now there's a lot of us too. Like I've never seen TSO. I don't know their. Can you play me a TSO riff, Trans Siberian Orchestra? <laughs> what's What's one that you love? Show me. What was your favorite one to play? Just a couple bars or something. Um, if, if there's a drop tuning one because you're in drop tuning, I don't know, whatever. I'll play, let me, I can actually play this up a half step but so it'll sound right. But this, this, this is an interesting one. So they, there, there was, there were a couple non um, holiday records that TSO did. One of them was called Beethoven's Last Night. So it had uh, this, which has a recognizable part of Beethoven's. Yeah. Got to play it in tune. Okay, here we go. Fire. <laughs> Imagine the drums too. Kind of needs the whole show. But I always like this riff. The whole string is. Almost. Yeah, and that's so over the top, man. That's odd. And every year, I guess the staging and everything just gets more and more insane. Yeah, and then the the most famous song that they have is. Right. Oh God, I haven't played that in years. <laughs> it brings back memories. <laughs> Amazing. Well, yeah, that must be a quite a tremendous gig to have. Um Yeah, it was great. I think what happens though is like it's one of those gigs where you it's great to for some of us anyway, it's great to do for a while. At a certain point though, it, it starts to take over. Yeah, I mean for me it was great for a time. And yeah. then it was done, and I knew I was done. Um, right. You know, but I, I, I can't imagine doing it now, just because like so many things that I've done since and that I'm doing now, like I would not be able to do if I if I did that. It's just it takes up so much time and energy. But it was you know it was great. I did my time, and it was it was cool. You know. Yeah. Now Joel is the man. 
<laughs> and you know, and he shares duties too. I don't know if he, did, you know, aren't there two trans TSOs going out now? Or right, there's all, always well. Ever since I started, yeah, there were, it was split into two groups, so there'd yeah be two tours simultaneously. I used to play in a wedding band like that. <laughs> I remember they got busted in a, in a in a local paper up in Napa. I was like, which one is the real? This band is playing up three different events on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, it's just I think yeah, it's the it's same a idea. More, more above board with the uh, TSO, but um, yeah, that's so. It has Testament had? Um, did you have a bunch of stuff scheduled in the next three months? Because I know that for all of us, the next three months is. A bust. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, last um, let's see, the last week of uh, March, we were supposed to. This whole second half of March, we were supposed to be away. Uh, we had uh, gigs in Australia, Indonesia, um, Thailand, wow. uh, Singapore. Yeah, I was, it's, I'm so disappointed because I, I was really looking forward to going yeah. to, to those places. And then um, we we had a U.S. tour that was starting. Uh, late the last week of this month, and was it with, uh, other, with uh, other bands? With some newer, we were headlining, and it was with some newer bands. Uh, Black Dahlia Murder, cool, great guitarist in that band, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. and Municipal Waste. Um, <laughs> What's your favorite metal band name? Municipal Waste is a great one. Cradle of Filth. Cradle I, of Filth is a good one. Yeah. Autopsy. I love these names. <laughs> I figured well, you in might Europe, know. You have these we- really weird ones in Europe at sometimes at these festivals. Like some of the um, bands that do the festivals, they're they're almost like folk metal bands. They're sort of these, uh, and you don't see these bands in the U.S. that much. But there's there's a band, one word, uh, all 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 together. I wrestled a bear once. Oh yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I have heard of them. That's a great. But name. that that doesn't seem metal to me. But it's definitely. No, but it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it's creative. Yeah, man. Well, hopefully we all get back to uh, rocking the planet soon. It is interesting to see how people are being forced to branch out onto the interwebs. Good to see that you're doing so much stuff. Um, yeah, that's kind of been a, a, a fringe benefit of all this. I know. I've been doing there's, session There's been a stuff. few, so yeah, a few silver linings. A lot of us are doing more session work. Um, the air is cleaner. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah, talking to someone from LA. Absolutely. It's very noticeable. Yeah. Apparently LA has some of the best air right now. Uh, it's, I was just reading it, about yeah. it. We've always had the best weather and now we get the yeah. best air for a while. Plus it's been <laughs> raining for like two right. weeks. So that oh, just cleans everything, gorgeous out. cleans everything out and greens everything up. But um, have we covered a lot of good stuff? Anything else that I'm leaving out that you want to cover? I mean, uh, I would just add. Yeah, the the uh, my trio's most recent yeah. record was called Conundrum. Okay, yeah, I've, I'll, I've, there's some other artists that I I play with. Um, oh yeah, more on the jazz jazz rock side of things. Um, obviously, we both somebody we both play with is Stu Ham. So I'm also there's a record coming out uh, called Jane Getter Premonition. Yeah, and Jane Getter's the guitarist, but Adam Holtzman from uh, Stephen Wilson's band is a keyboardist. Used to play with Miles Davis. He's a great musician. Last year, I did the uh, Atlanta Jazz Festival with uh, Ofer Asaf, who is a tenor sax player. And we were planning to go into the studio this month with um, Robbie wow. Amin and Lincoln Goins. So that got postponed. Um, uh, and then my, uh, the my yeah my trio. I guess I mentioned Conundrum. That's the current record. 
Um, yeah. and that's all originals. Sweet. And uh, yeah, we had we had we were supposed to play the Iridium on Tuesday night. Uh, wow. <laughs> and then uh, Testament was supposed to. We had some summer, a bunch of summer shows, festivals we were going to do. Right. And then there's another thing I I uh, play in called Metal Allegiance, which is like an all star band that plays at Nam every year. We've done two recordings, um, and yeah. I'm sort of a producer songwriter on that as well. Well. It's good for a guy like you that, you know, you have so much to fall back on when the, the big stuff suddenly gets yanked out and the carpet carpet gets pulled out from under you. It's uh, Yeah, it's that's cool. the idea cuz you know, I think it's good to be like overworked a lot of the time. Yeah. And then when some of that work goes away, well you you know, yeah, you're not left you still have stuff to work on. So. Well, cool, man. I really appreciate you uh doing this today i know that you have to leave the house in like may or june so thanks for fitting me in that's right (laughs) yeah man i'm so glad we could do this and i'm so uh yeah it's just great it's great to see folks from you know the berkeley days just doing man ruthie's i used to play ruthie's where metallica would play this little place man that literally rain was coming through the ceiling had buckets on the dance floor and one bucket one bucket on the stage like right next to the bass player (laughs) <laughs> I played Ruthie's. My first gig was Ruthie's. Yeah, man. It's like um, something that us, you and me, and guys from the, the East Bay would understand. That's yeah, like you got to see Avenue. this. I don't know if you know about this film called Murder in the Front Row, the Bay Area Thrash Story. It's I've a documentary. It. It's awesome. You have to see, you'll flip out. Yeah. Yeah, I've been wanting to see that. I looked for it once. Maybe it's finally yeah. on Netflix. The DVD is coming out, and I, th- I think it's going to be streaming soon. The uh, filmmaker oh, is a friend of mine. Um, I absolutely want to check that out. I remember I went so to fun. Ruthie's. So, yeah. I got a Ruthie's thing for you. And when I was uh, 17, I saw Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, DRI, on New DRI, Year's Eve. DRI, yes. At yeah. Ruthie's, man. It was wow. awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, man. It's amazing. And I just, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, you got this thing going. And then I got an e- email the other day from the Jim Dunlop company. And it's Brian Keough. And it's like a. A homeboy, you know, and there's I just, love Keo. There's so many of us that are just, you know, we're out there, yeah. we're doing our thing, man. So it's great. Even those yeah, of us totally. that aren't in the bay anymore, you know, we're still the oh, bay yeah. is in us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The world gets closer and closer, and yep. that's why I love your the title of your last tour, "The Bay Strikes Back." I know that was a great. I can't take credit for that. That was a great title. Yeah, I, think I mean. Chuck, I Thoughts out of <laughs> it's that. cool, and you like you don't really think of the Bay Area as something that would strike in any, but yeah, I right. love that. more pacifist kind of area. But yeah, I think more of Detroit Strikes Back or something. Yeah, I think I think that also relates to the so-called the Big Four bands, which yeah, at least most of us I think we totally respect that. I mean, those bands were around first. Like I, yeah. when I was at Berkeley High, Anthrax had records out. <laughs> Metallica yep. had was already like having their breakthrough record by Ride the Exodus. Lightning. Exodus, uh, yeah. like even Master of Puppets. I was in yeah. high school. Back, I was too yeah. young to go to Ruthie's, but I'd see the posters on the on the telephone pole, like you know, five dollars Metallica at Ruthie's, yeah. and they were just like local bands. Right. So the big four is Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax. Uh, but yep. one of the reasons this tour was called the bass strikes back is because the next wave of bands is um go testament exit and exodus was actually around longer you know because kirk Hammett started exodus 
and Death yeah. Angel. But so the you know the big four, and deservedly they are the big four. But Megadeth, yeah, was Southern California. Slayer was Southern California. Anthrax was New York, and Metallica were Bay Area transplants. <laughs> yep. The main guy, one guy's from Southern California, those are from Denmark. And they right. transplanted to the Bay and they got people in the Bay. Yeah. But so then in a way, this was like, hey, yeah, this tour was like, okay, here's here's some bands born and bred in the Bay. And maybe they're not as known as the big four, but uh, I love they, it, man. Yeah, they're there. Straight representing. Representing. That's it. Well, cool, man. Keep it alive to you in ninety five. Any chance you could take us out on, on a little something? Another solo, maybe, or something? Just like a le- another 20 seconds as I fade off into the sunset? Sure, the sure. Guitar? Let me do... Uh, I get asked to play this one, uh, Souls of Black, often. Awesome. Which is kind of... Uh, yeah, it's like a... It's almost like a, a marching-type tune, the temp- tempo-wise. Yeah. So, one, two, Oops, I forgot I was in drop D. <laughs> that was all. That Keep was that. great. Yeah. <laughs>